This is Living Lab Radio. I'm Heather Goldstone. The Impossible Burger has put high-tech meat alternatives on people's plates and minds. But just how big could this emerging sector become, and how soon? A new analysis says it could make the cow all but obsolete in a matter of years. Catherine Tubb is a senior analyst with Rethink X, a think tank that focuses on tech-driven disruption and its implications for society. And she's the co-author of a new report on the future of food and agriculture. Catherine, welcome to the show. Hi there. So the upshot of this new analysis, and I'm, I'm quoting from the summary, is by 2030, the number of cows in the U.S. will have fallen by 50 percent and the cattle farming industry will be all but bankrupt. That is a pretty strong statement. What is that based on? So we are a think tank that look at technology-driven disruptions. And what we've taken is a look at it from the technology. So we anticipate a this is a protein-driven disruption, driven by economics. So essentially the cost of producing protein is going to come down fast, so that it's five times cheaper by 2030 and 10 times by 2035 than existing methods. And so ultimately, this means 50% fewer cows by 2030. And it won't stop there. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll talk about how much farther it could go. But but let's take a step back and talk about this technology that, that you're basing this on, this protein production technology. If we're getting essentially meat, protein, that's not coming from animals, where is it coming from? So this is coming from, I mean, this is a technology that's been around since 1979, 1980s. It's how we produce insulin now, um, and rennet and other molecules, biologic um, pharmaceuticals, for example. And it's being driven really by kind of rapidly converging and technologies coming down in cost, which means that we've seen the cost of it coming down from about a million dollars per kilo to around a hundred dollars per kilo today. And we anticipate this will fall even further so that by 2025, it hits cost parity with dairy proteins, which is about $10 per kilo. And it's really at this point that when you hit the cost parity with dairy proteins, it becomes disruptive because many of these proteins are actually sold in an ingredient business to business way. Um, so what you'll see is about 30% of the U.S. market, dairy market, actually goes in as an ingredient into other products. And that is a, an area mm. where companies are very susceptible to kind of volatile prices and are always looking for ways to kind of cut their margins. And of course, then there's the upsides in terms of the production. It uses far fewer resources. It can be produced anywhere. All those kind of things that make it even just better than you can produce with current animal proteins. Once you wipe out that 30% of demand, then you just wipe out what you need from cows. So for example, you've seen this with the bankruptcy of Dean Foods in the US. It's an industry that's operating on very financially vulnerable margins and it's very economically unsound, I would say. So it's very prone to disruption. Well, Catherine Tubb, this analysis um, that you and your colleagues have produced, that's one of the key points that you make is that cattle farming, because of uh, the, the total economics around cattle farming, Cattle farming, you predict, will collapse before we can make something like a steak, right? We're not talking about uh, phasing out cows because we have figured out how to replace everything that currently comes from cows, right? Yeah, so as we've gone down this cost curve, I mean, over the last hundred years, the way we used it, and before that, the first way we used a cow, it represented everything. It was a kind of source of labor, of food, of tools, of clothing, of even a way to store food and of value. And kind of as we've gone through time, every use of the cow has been taken away. So refrigerators, for example, disrupted the need to store your food in a cow. 
you know, and then also just labour. So things like tractors have taken away the need to use cows in terms of the field and even money has taken away the use for cows as a source of trade value. Um, and really food is kind of the final disruption. And then every part of food that you're seeing is also being disrupted. So it's, it's kind of all these different products that you're seeing on the market are all taking a little bit of the trunk out of the cow. We call it death by a thousand cuts. And I would say the one thing as well about the cow is we talk about a protein disruption across everything. It just happens that the cow is the most inefficient way of producing protein. And when you have a model as inefficient as the cow, that is prone to disruption. So, you know, this won't stop at the cow. You'll see every single livestock, fish also being disrupted by these technologies. When you say that a cow is the most inefficient way to produce protein, can you break that down and explain what that means? Yeah, I mean, there are many ways to look at look at it. The simplest way is just thinking about a feedstock. So, I mean, you hear many numbers. Um, I think anything from five to 25 times amount of feed needed to produce a, a kilo of protein. So, you know, that's essentially 4% efficient. <laughs> um, and that's if you think about an, uh, um, an ICE engine. So internal combustion engine is about 19 to 21% efficient. And that's also being disrupted by electric vehicles, mm. which have much more efficiency. So it's just an efficiency thing. If you can unplug these microbes that we that use it to make the products. Essentially, you're taking a microbe like a yeast, programming it to make these proteins, um, and you're just doing it in kind of fermentation tanks and vats. You can do this anywhere, right? We'll have fermentation farms instead of animal farms. But you can do it anywhere. You can produce it anywhere. Anywhere you can brew beer, you can make protein. So let's talk about what you can make in that way, at least right now. I mean, we've got things like the Impossible Burger, where you're making kind of a ground meat replacement, where do we stand in terms of getting to something more like a steak or a chicken breast, something that's actually a piece of meat? How far off might that be? So at the moment, in terms of the cost curve of precision fermentation, we're really at the level where you can make products like collagen. So there's a company that currently sells human collagen actually for use in cosmetics. And of course, human collagen is better than for us to put on our faces than cow collagen, a company called Geltor in the US. Mm. Um, And then, you know, we're also seeing companies, a company called Spiber make um, spider silk that they use. They put in moon jackets and I think working with North Face to make, use it as a a material. Um, As we come down the curve, you've seen Impossible actually is a company that uses this technology to make their heme, which is kind of their secret sauce to make their burger. And they mix that with plant-based food. So we do see that the the products that come on the market to begin with will be mixed with plant-based or myco, which is um, fungus-based products, in order to kind of make them better. I think the the key area for us when it comes really disruptive is really when you reach that economic level, when it's at a cost parity with bulk proteins, animal proteins. And you're seeing companies already, so Clara Foods make egg whites and then Perfect Day have launched, they make dairy proteins and they've just launched an ice cream onto the market that I think mm. was available on a certain thing. And then also you're seeing a company called New Culture who make mozzarella cheese. So you can see, all, and all these companies are making it using the same technology, they're just making different proteins. It's not just limited to the food space, you're seeing company making indigo companies making vanilla a company even making rhino horn Mm. so these all have hugely disruptive kind of implications for their industries that they're in and you're just seeing a huge number of these startups coming into this space and more and more every day and though one thing or two things i guess that i didn't hear in that list of what's being made are the basics of milk eggs and and definitely not 
you know, steak or, or actually pieces of meat. We're, we're just not there yet with that technology, I guess. Well, one of the interesting things is that one of the key areas for cultured meat protein. So, I mean, if you mix these, the heme, for example, that Impossible make with plant-based, you can really mimic the taste and feel of uh, meat very well. Um, I think in terms of these proteins, they are actually... Um, for cultured meat, one of the key kind of cost, if that's also coming down its own cost curve, but one of the key high costs is actually the medium. Um, and you can make one of the things you need is proteins in the medium to help these cells grow. So which, of course, you can make using this technology called precision fermentation. So it all kind of feeds into each other. So essentially, once you can do one thing, it, it's almost experience curve. They all kind of feed into the others to keep going. So we don't think you're going to need to be able to make the meat because you're going to disrupt the rest of the industry. So it becomes an economic question. So once you take out the dairy industry, and I don't want the word take out is wrong, but once the dairy industry kind of becomes, you know, economically unviable, and then that's going to feed into the meat industry because about 20% of meat actually comes from old dairy cows. So suddenly the price of meat is going to go up, of cows, for example, is going to go up. And then that's going to kind of happen, see new investment into these new technologies and drive it forward. We call it kind of feedback, virtuous feedback loops. Until really what happens is then that the old industry goes into this vicious feedback loop cycle where there's lower demand, lower supply, lower investment. And so eventually the new industry takes over. So we see them all feeding into each other. You won't need to be able to make that stake in order for the whole industry to be disrupted. I'm talking with Catherine Tubb of Rethink X, a think tank that focuses on tech-driven disruption, about a new analysis of the future of food and agriculture. In this new analysis, you predict severe economic impacts, and you've been kind of hitting on that in describing how the collapse of uh, cattle agriculture might proceed and what would drive that. What does that actually mean in hard numbers? What are severe economic impacts? The whole food system is going to change. So we're going to move to something we call food as software, which is the idea of this well, anyway, as I said, anyway, you can brew beer, you can make food. But this is going to have massive implications because at the moment, a lot of food production is very centralised in certain areas of the US, for example. And it's going to come very decentralised and delocalised. The inputs that you need for this technology are different to the ones we need now. So, you, I mean, if we argue that basically if you don't need the cow, then the whole of the industries around the cow are going to go away. And obviously that's going to have massive implications for those you know, areas of the country, of, of the world, really, that have those that use those animals. So this is where we kind of try as part of Rethink X and our, is the idea of trying to alert people to these huge implications and these huge changes that come much quicker than people expect because people usually underestimate how quickly these changes can happen. Um, and that's part of our what we're trying to do. We're trying to tell people, look, this is happening. This is inevitable. So where do you want to be in terms of this technology? You want to you know, protect the workers, not protect the jobs necessarily, but protect the workers. How are you going to protect people, protect you know, regions of the country, protect whole communities? communities that rely on these industries that just may not exist in 15 to 20 years. In addition to protecting the people who currently uh, farm cattle, I'm thinking about the people who currently rely on cattle for protein. I mean, you can make these proteins anywhere you can brew beer, but uh, that's not some of the poorest regions of the world where people mm. may be subsistence farming. What does this mean for them? No, I mean, if if you're a subsistence farmer or you're someone that owns one cow, clearly you probably still own the cow. And I think a lot of regions of the world, such as Africa, they actually, you know, you still own a cow and it represents, it's still used as dowries. So we're not saying that the cow is going to go away. <laughs> There's just going to be a lot less of them. You know, we could say that 90% fewer cows by... 
2035. But say, you know, we're saying 90% fewer, that still leaves a lot of cows, but they'll be spread in certain regions, perhaps where they're still relying on cows or they have the cow value. So, you know, cows will still exist, but the way that we use cows, especially in kind of the Western world, is just not going to be needed. Now, along with all of this disruption and uh, the potential downsides, the economic benefits, um, the the loss of, of maybe the availability of certain types of food, at least uh, temporarily, there are some major b- potential benefits to this disruption and this shift. Talk about the environmental benefits of having 50 or 90 percent fewer cows. Yeah, so I mean, in terms of land, greenhouse gases, water usage, this is all going to be, you know, massively decreased the amount that you need for these kind of closed network systems. So environmentally, you're going to see these huge benefits in terms of greenhouse gases emitted. Um, and that it goes through as well into everything. So for example, like 90% of the world's, or 80% of the world's antibiotics, I believe, are used in the livestock industry. And there's obviously a huge issue with kind of antibiotics um, in the world. And if you're not using all these antibiotics and livestock then you you know it leaves more for us to use as humans um and then yeah kind of like runoff of things like fertilizer which obviously happens because a lot of the issues environmentally that come from kind of cattle is just to do with the overuse of hormones the overuse of things that ends up in the environment and this just won't happen in these closed network systems so i mean it's it goes even beyond kind of the big ones in terms of climate change and global warming and it goes kind of right beyond down to kind of more local you know issues that people may be seeing to do with kind of the the output of waste and um, issues with kind of cattle farming. Well, Catherine Tubb, in this analysis uh, that you're a co-author of, um, you do present this pretty dire sounding, you know, warning about the demise of cattle farming and and other uh, livestock. But then you also say that our food system, quote, will be more nutritious, healthier, better tasting, more convenient with almost unimaginable variety. Can you leave us with a little bit of that optimism and what you envision the, I guess, eventual upside of this disruption and this transition being? We'll be able to make any type of food we want or our body needs. And when you kind of couple it with all the oncoming transitions you see in health as well, the ability to have personalized, customizable nutrition to us will be incredible. You'll be able to have like food as medicine, anything you want to eat that exists or doesn't exist. The the number of different proteins that are around the scarcity should be gone because you can just make anything, any variety of food. Um, And, you know, we're right at the beginning of this at the moment and everything is getting better. The cow cannot get better. We're at the limits of the ability of the cow to get better. But this food is right on the cusp of possibilities. Does this mean we're going the way of food pellets? I mean, are are we getting (laughs) down to food just being very utilitarian uh, when we're producing it all in the lab in this food as software way? Or, Or how do you see that playing out? I mean, food is a very emotive subject for a lot of people. It's very subjective. So I think how we all consume food will continue to be the varied way. But perhaps, you know, remember we eat food three or more times. We're lucky enough in the Western world to eat three or more times a day. And so it may well be that that just shifts a bit. You know, perhaps suddenly you're getting your nutritious, you know, cube of food from your local um, pret type sandwich shop once a week but that's still enough to impact things perhaps you know it's it's just how we 
it, it, how we, how you know, generally you'll still probably have your turkey at Christmas or your turkey at Thanksgiving. Sorry, you're American. <laughs> turkey <laughs> at Thanksgiving, but generally, you know, generally how we eat food can change and will change as as part of this big continuum of food eating. That's Catherine Tubb. She's a senior analyst with Rethink X, a think tank that focuses on tech-driven disruption and its implications for society. And she's co-author of a new report on the future of food and agriculture. Catherine, thanks. Thank you. Up next, an economist weighs in on the right amount to spend on holiday gifts. Living Lab Radio continues after a short break. <laughs> 